Last time on Lawful Stupid, Shane doesn't actually know this one because as of this recording, he did he hasn't listened to our boy Rowan and his interlude adventure. Yes, I was not there, so I don't know things. That will be the first time you'll ever hear Kristoff admit that he doesn't know something versus just pulling it out of his rear. I mean, I know exactly what he did in the Arcade Wars. That's true. Uh, yeah, so uh, prior to the interlude, obviously the, the three boys chose to go their separate ways. They each had their own um, journeys they wanted to take outside of each other's shenanigans. And Kristoff decided him and Avia would go in and kind of make their own journey. And so... Kristoff and Avia have been in Yuri for some time now. Um, about six moons have passed, and the work that you both have done together, I think, to gather a place to live and kind of sustain some income and begin those conversations you were looking to have, all those conversations and Avia's really been by your side, but I think one night when you two are together talking, I think the meat of what you are looking to do kind of comes to light. And you and her, um, I, I think you're sharing a nice meal, and uh, I think she's drinking wine, and you're drinking whatever you choose to drink. Um, and you guys are just sitting um, at a table in what will be the future home of Kristoff uh, and, and everything he plans to do. And why don't you um, why don't you go ahead and describe why don't you describe the scene of your meal, right? Because you're sharing a meal at a table, and I want to let you have that full reign over your home. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so Kristoff um, has kind of been in Yuri for. Uh, more or less six months at this point, and um, he has been trying to find a place where he can grow and expand. And he, the only place that he could find that was, you know, reclusive enough and large enough, um, it was actually a series of uh, of mausoleums um, on kind of the outskirts of Yuri, where some of the more well-to-do folks had been buried a long time ago. Um, it's not really in use anymore because it kind of got full up and that was hundreds of years ago and the families don't really visit anymore because it's hundreds of years ago and it's kind of just how it goes. Um, so it's pretty out in the middle of nowhere, um, pretty much just paid off the lone groundskeeper um, to just keep collecting his paycheck but not go to work anymore. Um, and then we uh, we settled into some of these catacombs, and they're large mausoleums, very nice stonework. Um, I mean, there's corpses in there, but you make do, right? Um, you and can't I think have the perfect that, home. Yeah, you can't have the perfect home. So I think that we're kind of... Um, we would be sitting in one of the larger, fancier mausoleums, maybe very ironically a, a noble... Um, a noble's entombment um, that that we would be sitting in. We kind of made like a a makeshift uh, all-purpose table over where his um, his body was laid in the in the stone. Um, so it's kind of like our planning table, our war table, our dining room table. It's kind of our it's like the table. And um, yeah, we'd be sitting there. She'd be uh, having some some wine, some of her um, her very 
uh, fancy alchemical wine. It's it's maybe a, a, a pale green um, that you know it's it's treated specially alchemically so that you can drink a bunch of it and not get a hangover. And then Kristoff uh, would be enjoying a a simple red wine, uh, thoroughly watered. He trusts Avia at this point uh, to water his wine appropriately, just enough to keep him you know keep him good, keep him level headed, keep him straight. Um, and then we'd be having a pretty simple dinner. Um, no, no cook fire tonight, just because we we've, we've been working. So uh, it was just like bread and sausages and uh, some cheese. And I, I think as you guys are eating, and you you've been talking about small things. You've been talking about work, but you've also been talking about just you know the things you've seen in town and the changes in Yuri that you've seen since the events of Oxbane. And I think um, I think uh, Avia says we're doing good, right? Like, we're recruiting these people out of the guilds, and I know we're small, but we're gonna do good, right, Kristoff? Yes, of course. Of course we're going to do good things. We're going to protect those that are small from those that are large and corrupt. It's 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 what we're here for. And she kind of, like, uh, she uses her utensils to kind of push food around her plate, and you kind of hear them, like, uh, like, scratch around, and she says... You keep saying that, but you've never really, you've never really told me how we're going to do that. Well, I'll be honest with you, Avia. I don't elaborate often because I'm still working out all the details myself. But the long and the short of it is, we're going to scare them. It used to be before noble houses were arranged, a man had a healthy dose of fear in his heart because he knew that should he step out of line and not act appropriately, nothing stops the man next to him from bashing his head in with the rock. Well, that's gone away with nobility, with these protections and it's led these people to, to know no fear, to know no mortality, and to just become cruel and barbarous. So we're going to be the rock. We're going to learn, we're going to remind these people what it's like to be afraid. But I'm not sure that I want to hurt people or kill them. Is that is that what you're suggesting? Oh, mercy me, child! No, um, absolutely not. Uh, that's not the nature of our. I mean, you've seen what our, our recruitment list looks like. We're not here for the strong and the brave and the battle-hardened. We're here for the tricksters, for the rogues, and for the ones who can whisper, and the ones that can make that whisper carry a, a large distance. We're here to utilize information, leverage, and fear in a primal sense to scare people. I, if it comes to blows, honestly, our first strategy should be running. And uh, as you say that, like I think your shoulders slack a little bit. Um, this like burden that she's been carrying slides off of her, and she says, "That's it's really good to hear, Kristoff. We've been doing things that, honestly, I probably." wouldn't have done if not for you and I was just worried that I was walking down a path that I can't walk back from 
and I just wanted to make sure that the person I was following was somebody worth following. And, and I don't, I don't mean to doubt you. It's just there's a reason I left my old life. I, I was doing things that weren't for me, and I want to make sure the things that I do with you, they're things I do beside you. And they're for me just as much as they are for you. Absolutely, Avia. I, I need you here to keep me level-headed. If for any reason we start heading down a path that is no longer for the good of the people that need it most, you have to tell me. Um, because I get, I get strength from my convictions and I get a little riled up. Um, but I, I genuinely believe that what we're doing is just and good. And she takes a drink from her glass and she says, Yuri's changed so much since we've gotten here. So much from what you've told me and from what I've heard from other people. Just so much in the last year. And I... I don't think the people that run Yuri should continue to run Yuri. But I don't know the bloodshed is the way to do it. And I think... I want to believe what we're doing makes sense. I just... I need you to tell me what we're doing is for... is for good. It's, it is absolutely for good, Avia. We're going to protect people, and we're going to do it without shedding a drop of blood, if all goes well. I think we I think it can be done. I think that fear is powerful and I think that information is powerful and I think that if we are smart and patient and true to our cause, we can do this without hurting anyone. And uh, she kind of smiles as you say that and she asks um, and I think she's asked this question of you a couple times and and I like to think that uh Kristoff has kind of talked around it so far, but I think she says, um, where did you, where did you learn all of this? Where did you learn to be political, to be uh, cunning in these matters? Uh, <laughs> I learned, uh, the finer points of politics. The good, decent part of ruling and managing and leading from my father. But that wasn't enough to do what we are doing now. I learned the callous parts of politics, the callous, the dark, the less than honorable parts of, of leadership and the burden from my brother. And she says, you don't, you don't talk of him much. Of all these nights we've shared, you don't, I can count on one hand the amount of times you've mentioned him. Why, why, why is it like that? He, he took everything from me, um, which is fine. I can harbor a hatred and do so uh, 
without restricting me on a day-to-day -day basis, but now, on this path that I've taken, I have to use every betrayal, every foul deed he's ever done to me, and I have to learn from it. I have to embrace and I have to cut away that which is cancerous and salvage the rest so I think about him every day. And it's it's exhausting. And um, I think she puts her hand on yours and says, um, that's a terrible burden to bear alone. Well, I'm not alone here. You're here. And I think she like blushes a little bit. And I think I think over the six months that you guys have spent together, she's blushed a, a few times, but they're very rare and they're very, um, very, very specific moments. And uh, she says, "Well, I'll stand by your side, not in front of you, and not behind you, and I'll make sure that." We do right, and we don't get lost in this. I, I refuse to go back to what I once was, and I think with you by my side and me by yours, I think we're going to do something great, something grand, and I think, I think if we just keep going, not only Yuri, but Orenthal, Maybe more. Maybe more will... They won't have to deal with those who are worried about power and gold and influence. I just want the innocent to have a choice, I think. Absolutely. I'm so, I, I don't want another single family out there to be used as a pawn in some game for gold and glory. That's really where I'm at. So, uh, I would be happy for you to stand beside me. Now, when every noble house in Orenthal comes knocking at our door, I think I'd prefer you to be standing in front of me then, but for now... And uh, I think she giggles, and she pulls her hand back, kind of like cover her face, because she's like giggling uncontrollably and a little embarrassed by that. And, uh... She she says, well, right then, I, I suppose I can stand in front of you. It, but we both have our strengths and weaknesses, I suppose. Uh, one more thing, and I I promise I won't keep poking at you for such, such uh, intimate questions. Have you ever thought of going home? I, I think of silence. I never actively, I never actively consider going home. I can't do that, but every single night, I dream. And uh, she puts her hand on Kristoff's and kind of squeezes it and says, When we're done here, I promise you, one day, I'm going to take you to your home. And I will help you make it right. And when you choose to share everything with me, I'll help you. We'll make your home what it should be. That's a very nice thought. 
Thank you, Avia. And I think the two of you finish dinner and continue your planning and continue your talks. And I think you talk about recruits that you've been working on this week. And, and it's a relaxing dinner like many nights you've had before because I think you typically have shared dinners um, and pretty much been each other's best friend. Um, yeah, I, I think we've been inseparable since we got to Oxman. Or since we left Oxman, rather. Right, despite whatever adventures you go on during the day to, to complete your tasks, you end up coming back to each other. Yeah. Um, and so and so that image of you two having dinner, it begins to fade as as months pass and, and suns rise and, and fall. And we see... We see Kristoff. Um, I think he's 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 at a tavern, and it's it's one of the darker taverns in Yuri. Excuse me, in Yuri, and it's it's like the candles are low, and we we see someone in um not someone but but a like a triplet of um these like elves. And they they get up from the table that Kristoff is sitting at, and Avia by his side, and they depart. And Avia says to you, Kristoff, and again you guys are like tucked back in the corner. She says, "I think that went as well as it could have." Uh, yes, absolutely. I think we've swayed them to our, our way of thinking. We're we're doing quite well. I, I'm they, those three actually. Their resume, as it were, is quite impressive. Absolutely, our, our little, uh, our little hole in the wall mausoleum is starting to have the pitter patter of tiny assassins and spies. And like as you're saying that, um, uh, Frost and Wendy stroll up to your table and, without question, without speaking, sit down. And, um, Avia, you can already feel her not love this. Not only does she not really care for Wendy, but she doesn't care for anybody who approaches the pair of you without some type of introduction or respect, right? Yeah. And so you can kind of feel her tense up. And Frost says, we need to talk, Kristoff. Yes, of course we do. It's been too long, Frost. How have you been? Well, admittedly, I would be great. However, I'm hearing, we'll say rumors. Hmm? There are people missing, Kristoff. People from my guild, people from other guilds, people from guilds I don't necessarily love, but people missing all the same. And it's weird. These rumors keep coming back to you. Um, it's it's not necessarily weird, Frost. It's because I'm directly responsible. It actually makes perfect sense. And when you say that, he like is caught off guard. He's he wasn't expecting you to just straight up like accept the blame. And before he can respond, Wendy kind of says that kind of says she does say Kristoff what are you doing and she like slams her fist down on the table this is not a game it's not a game at all I'm doing what you taught me to do what both of you 
allegedly stand for. You're architects. Your entire job is to build things. I'm building something. No harm has come to anyone who was once a member of your guild or any other. I'm not, I'm not stealing them away in the night. I'm not coercing them against their will. I'm not, they're not hanging from hooks in my bathroom. And They've yet come we don't in. know that. We haven't seen them in some of them in months, some of them almost a year. They've been very busy. And you, you hear Frost say, Christoph, this is not, this is not a laughing matter. It's not a Don't. game either, I've heard. I came to you out of respect. What you're doing, it's not making friends among the guild. Am among the guilds, they're not happy. They won't continue to stand for this. They're people missing, vanished without a trace. They're going to put a stop to you. I understand, Frost. And that's why I need you to do me a favor. You think I came here to do you a favor? I, I came here to stop you. And I thought it best to have a conversation with you. I... Frost, I've been nothing but honest with you. I've never done anything... To, to harm you or anyone that you've cared about in the entire time that we've known each other. And I'm asking for a favor. And Just buy me time. The guilds respect you for good reason. They listen to you. If you can keep them cool for... And he, like, bites his own teeth. Like, you can hear them grind <laughs> when, when you say that. If you can keep them calm... For six months' time, half a year, it will make perfect sense, and they will know that their people are well and unharmed in what they've been doing. But until then, Frost, I've been building something for over a year now. You understand how important it is when you're trying to build something. You put yourself into it, and it's everything you are, and it consumes you, and you just want it to be well. It's like your child. It will be ruined if there are grievous actions taken against me before six months from now. If you have ever had any kindness in your heart for me or any appreciation for what was done at Arxbane, you would do me this favor. Do me a favor and go ahead and roll that persuasion roll. Got it, boss. That's going to be very good. Um... That is a 25. And so you say this, you you give this speech, and Frost is like holding two fists together on the table. And you can feel at your side that Avia has placed her left hand on like this blade that she keeps on, like in her, um, like her pants, I guess is the best way to say that. But it's not really mm -hmm. a pocket, but it's like a, like a, like a loop in her pocket that she keeps a blade. And so you can feel like that she's getting ready to make that move and Frost says, I can't buy you six months. I can't. I, I can't. 
but I'll do my best. I will buy you some time. And Kristoff, I promise you that if I come to regret this, so will you. You will regret, you will regret this more than anyone. And Avia, you hear her like interrupt him and say, I would choose your words carefully. I don't care what organizations you're a part of. If you threaten us, I will make you regret every single syllable. Now, and now, please, please, everyone, Avia, he's not threatening us. He's really not. He's setting the terms of an agreement. And he's correct. If, and I agree to them, I acquiesce to the terms of your agreement that you're proposing for us. If I should cause you any regret as it pertains to your missing guild members, if they have been harmed in any way and I've made you lie for me, I assure you, whatever ruin you deem appropriate to bring down upon my head and that of what I've built, I will welcome it. And he kind of growls and Wendy says, I... I would have never thought this for you, Kristoff. I don't know what you're up to. And you can call us architects, and you can continue to call yourself one. But I don't know what you're building. But it's... It's not anything pure, like something from the torrent. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it in the shadows. You're doing it in the darkness it's it's not something to be proud of it's not something i would have ever taught you don't put that evil on us i will of course respect your wishes wendy but i implore you don't think of it as something that uh, is hidden away something that I'm, I'm blocking away that i'm ashamed of I'm just trying to make a grand reveal. And Frost says, Honestly, Kristoff, you're no better than Fendel. And he's missing all of his marbles. I don't know what your excuse is, and I certainly don't know this game you're playing at. And for the life of me, I have no idea why I, why I would even trust you. And I, I'm not saying I do trust you. I'm not. But the respect I have for Fendel, and the respect I have for you, and the things you did in Oxbane, I will buy you time. But mark my words, Gustav. If you do something if you and whatever your plan is goes against our guild or our way of life I will hunt you down and I will make a ruin of everything you've built and I know you find me a fool and Findle makes jokes and but it is not something to take light of when one of the the stewards of Goron is after you. And he like places the shard on the table 
like like he's got like an iron grip on it. You can see like he's white knuckling his artifact, and he says, "You know very well, I have the ability to follow through with these threats." Absolutely. Um, for whatever reason, Frost, if you think I think you will fool, you are mistaken only on that count. I hold you in a high esteem. We may not always see eye to eye on a personal philosophical level, but you're not a fool. And I know that. And I think that what I'm building, when you see it, perhaps as a guild leader, you will not approve. But I know that as a steward who's vested in the interest of every living creature on Goron, you will be so proud. And uh, Wendy responds to you and says, you keep talking in all of these riddles. It doesn't, it's not. And Frost interrupts her and says, "Ah, we've said our piece, Wendy. We can't expect anything more than what than once we've already tried to convince him of. And he, like, stands up and kind of pulls her, like, gently, not, like, in, like, this harassing way. He, like, pulls her and says, Christoph, I hope, for both our sakes, we are not on opposing sides in this matter. And as they begin to walk away, Avia is the first to speak as, as they, like, are making their way out. And she says, Farewell. I enjoyed this. Uh, you just hear the sinister, like, venom in her voice. I think Christoph kind of chuckles at that, um, but then just is deflated as soon as they... Like, he's been very um, almost puffed up and resolute about everything since the conversation began, but as soon as they walk out the door, it's just gone from him. And so as you kind of, like, collapse into yourself, um, I think Avia and you have grown even closer over the time together... And I think she puts her her hand on the nape of your neck and just apologizes. Like, I think she apologizes for them and for her and for everything that you've had to endure and the things you have to uh, bear on your shoulders. And uh, I think at the end of that apology, she says, They're going to understand. I promise. I sincerely hope so. Um, I knew that when I set down this path, there would be those who would oppose it. Obviously, I mean, it's it's radical thinking, but I really hoped Wendy wouldn't have been one of them. It, go ahead. It is uh, a heavy blow to lose her respect. I think no matter how cool and calm you've ever seen Avia to be, uh, when you say that, she kind of like withdraws from you. And she says, "Uh, I, I understand. I can see. And you kind of hear the words through gritted teeth. I, I can see why her opinion matters to you. Up now, Avia. She's no competition of yours there's no reason to raise your heckles uh, I made a choice one year ago I made a choice and there's only been one person who's been my, my side since I made that choice and it's you so as 
heavy as a blow it is to lose the respect of, of Windy, if I were to lose you, I would truly be lost. And I think she smiles like weakly at that and is like, I, I don't, I don't mean to be this way. I, I'm, I'm sorry. That's, that's foolish of me to think like that. It's okay. I, I don't blame you. Um, we'll go home. No water in the wine tonight, I think. And in the morning, we will resume our work. Let's not forget that we did a good thing here today. Three new powerful allies for, for our cause. That is cause for celebration. And she smiles and she says, We should also discuss you laying low. I don't think... I don't think those two are going to keep it to themselves for very long, and we need to figure out how you can move around without causing more suspicion. I've had thoughts on that, and I have some schematics I would really appreciate you taking a look at. I could use your expertise. Um, but yes, for now, I don't think there's a reason for me to come out of... Uh, out of hiding for the next week or so. Um, we've got enough agents now to stand idle by for a couple weeks and still get the job done. So we'll do that for now, and then maybe we can present a more long-term solution. And uh, she smiles and she says, uh, I'm sure we'll figure something out. And the two of you kind of exit the tavern, and as you kind of... Uh, walk through the threshold and into the darkness of the alleyway um, the vision kind of fades and we see the clock wind forward <laughs> and it winds and winds and winds and you're at this lavish castle and as as the viewers uh, point of view shifts there's these giant walls and they can see just from the terrain that this is outside of Yuri but it's a large estate. It's it's clearly someone of noble prestige and um, rapport, and, and their reputation certainly has uh, been built up over the last year and a half, two years, and they've really pushed um, their their station. And there's lights and music and the smell of sweet foods. There's pie and there's pork and there's vegetables that are steaming, and it's. It's this beautiful gala, this beautiful ball, and there's elves, and there's there's some orcs, and dwarves, and humans, and they're all wearing beautiful garments, and beautiful masks, and, and, and it's a masquerade ball. And you just see this almost scene from a movie of everybody having a good time, and talking, and dancing, and there's a band on stage, and there's whispering of like, the fact that that band was not the original entertainment like the like some of the nobles have, have talked about how like there was supposed to be a more famous like entertainment but they ended up dealing with the fact that they're using this band instead and um i think we smash cut to Kristoff. And do me a favor and just go ahead and describe what Kristoff has chosen to wear to this gala, like his whole ensemble. 
It has been so long since Kristoff has worn clothes this fine, but he just feels at home in them, right? He's wearing like a fully dudded out suit. Um, it's kind of a, a military style suit, which is um, very common for, for folks um, from silence royalty. Um, they're just traditional garb, looks almost uh, admiral-like in nature. Um, but this is highly customized with actual bits of inlaid silver uh, layered uh, almost like scale mail um, down the, uh, the sleeve. So he once again, not hiding his scales anymore. Kristoff wears them even in his finery. Um, and he's wearing just this resplendent um, silver mask that is comes down full snout to look like, uh, like a, it's like a half mask, but it resembles a, a silver dragon. Um, and so he's, he's wearing that, he's wearing the suit, uh, and uh, double tails on the suit, just looking looking real nice. And so Kristoff ascends the staircase and up to this like half balcony. So in this in this in this ballroom, you essentially have a, a three-tiered stage. You have the ballroom floor, and on the edges there's some like drink, like bar situations, and then the other room is where like the buffet and the food and the tables are. But in this room, there's bars on the edges, there's the dance floor, and then there's the stage for the entertainment. And the the balcony that you've ascended to is almost middle tier. And then above of that, there's like these rafters, right? And you can see these railways. Um, and, and Christoph can certainly see and recognize um, like this type of scenario, right? Because he's been in enough ballrooms and he's been in enough castles to kind of see this format. And so you've, you've ascended up onto this middle balcony and you approach uh, this nobleman and this, this, this guard and... Because obviously he's a nobleman, but he's not a fool, so he's got a guard with him. And as you approach this nobleman, you recognize um, an old friend of yours. And and while you you'd heard the name, you thought surely there was a mistake, despite the reports you you've heard. But to see him face to face, you see Count Eckenbar. And he smiles and and greets you kindly, and he says, "I am, I am so glad you could make it." I can buy you, old so and so. You owe me money. And he smiles and he says, mm, "That is not something I'm short of these days, dear friend." I can see that. What brings you? To my little ball. I don't remember you being on the guest list, as it were. <laughs> Gallows these days, Eckenbar, they'll let just about anyone in. And he like dismisses his guard as he like kinda like gets a feel for you and says Yes, I suppose they would, and frankly that means I need to speak with security. They just let anyone in these days, hmm. Yes, I've already given them a stern talking to. I've spoken with them quite a bit before I came here, actually. Um, I've actually heard some rumors from them and from some other folks as well. The noble life, with even a purchase type like yours, it's affecting you, isn't it, Eckenbar? And uh, he kind of turns to you and you notice his like, right knee is like in a um, makeshift cast. It's like... Um... There's like almost like this frame built around it out of like 
arcane energy. Like somebody, obviously somebody from the Architects Guild has like built it for him. And he says, affecting me? No, no, no. I'm always, I'm who I've always been, dear boy. It's some people, they get jealous when someone rises from the filth, as it were, up to nobility. I, d I don't know, Ekenbar. I've had some pretty troubling reports from some sources that I consider to be reliable. Uh, you were always a shrewd man um, in business dealings and, and other things, and I can accept that, obviously. That's just I mean, that's a minor character flaw, but I've heard reports that you've been taking advantage of your people. I've heard that you've been luring young girls into your bedchambers at night. I've heard that you've been making folks within the town that have raised inquiries disappear. But you're no magician. You can't make people disappear, so that would mean you've been killing them. And so so he's, um, like, you recognize Ekenbar mainly from, like, the scars on his jaw and his face and his voice and stuff and his overall demeanor. But you notice, like, the top half of his mask is, like, it's almost like a, like a straight-up snake, right? Like, straight-up black scales on top of it. And where his eye holes are, there's, like, this translucent yellow. And he says... Listen, I'm sure whoever you're hearing things from, they're just tales. Quite stories that jealous people make up when they can't grab life by the horns, as it were. You're, you're probably right, Akinbar. In fact, I owe you an apology. Not for any of the things that I just said, but because I've been in town now for two whole weeks. And I didn't come and say hello. That was very rude of me. But some of these things that I've heard in the last couple of weeks, I've seen you firsthand committing these atrocities against your people. So I do apologize for not stopping in and saying hello, but you can see why I needed a bit of secrecy. And he kind of looks at you kind of nervously because he's definitely heard some rumors uh, about some shifting in his own like abode or his own estate and he says um, what's the game are you playing at I'm too old and too tired and frankly too noble to be dealing with these things spit it out well first thing I have a request that you never use that word to describe yourself ever again Noble is not a word that suits you, I assure you. And then I just wanted to tell you some things that I've noticed. I've, I've noticed that you made that young man disappear from the docks last week. I noticed that he cried and pled for mercy, that you obviously couldn't hear him, so I know that you're hard of hearing. I know that your knee troubles you terribly. I know that every night you take a solve in unction, and quite a deal of brandy of all things to help you deal with the pain. I know this because I've seen it firsthand in your chambers at night. Your security really does need to be upped quite a bit with them. And he like I steps back as you're as you're like giving this speech to him, especially as you talk about like his bedchambers, and like he puts like his hand on this like dagger at his side. 
like the hilts of it? Oh, I don't think you could make a motion towards me because another thing that you don't seem to realize is that the workings of the Architect Guild, though beautiful and fantastic, as easily as they can be worked, they can be unworked. And I am going to tap into the torrent and I'm going to basically screw up the formula that manifests this knee brace into uh, existence. Uh, so you're just trying to dissipate it or you're trying to do something different? Just if just to try to stop it from performing its typical function. So if that means locking up completely, if that means completely dissipating, if that means coming undone. So I think it's, it, it acts like a normal brace, right? Like without it, he would not really be able to put pressure on it. So I think I think what you do is you disassemble it and it ends up like squeezing his knee. And so he like kind of reaches down and stop it, put it back. I not until I'm done speaking. Afterwards, I assure you, I will restore it. Um, until then, I'll speak at you from two paces away because that seems to be more than you can currently manage. I want you to understand exactly the position that you're in. You don't walk unless I want you to walk. You don't take a single step, whereas everyone else around you step whenever I will. So if I were to say, "Step to the left," and I snap my fingers. And you notice in the ballroom where this like dancing has been occurring and these these noblemen, these these knights and all these other famous and powerful people of Yuri have been dancing. They're they're not like slow dancing and they're and they're not dancing wildly. It's like these more traditional dances that you would have back in those time where everybody kinda knew a few dances. And all of their partners kind of step left out of turn and Something almost inconceivable happens that their partners don't understand. Like their masks, which were foxes and peacocks and phoenixes and and you know wolves and, and these other like feline beautiful creatures, their masks change on these beautiful women. They they shift and 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 I say beautiful women. Most of them are women. There are a couple like more like effeminate men. But they're like there and they're in the party and their masks shift from these animals to these silver masks. These these masks that would come on that would go on to be like iconic. And so it's something that only you and Ekenbar really witness. And you hear him say, Ah, what the f- What have you done? I've done nothing but demonstrate how absolutely out of control you are of your very reality. If I say that things should slow down, and I say that, I think the, so, the dancing begins to... Yeah, yeah. When you when you say that, you these there's these steps coming up from behind you, and they kind of echo, right? They slow down, and the, the dancers, as they're shifting... The world almost goes at half speed and everything can be seen and heard in slow motion, except for you two. Or if I should say that they should speed up. And when you say that, just like in clockwork and just like at the very the very bending of your will, the dancers are moving faster and you can... Now, you and Ekenbar can kind of see some shifting in the rafters as that happens. And 
guards are moving and doing their patrols faster, and you can see drinks filling and 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 emptying faster, and you hear those steps that were going up the steps faster, and you can see at the, almost at the top of the steps, but not quite, like, it's not like they actually ascended all the way up, you can see, um, just the form of Avia, just below the steps, kind of like keeping guard for you, but the very, the very whim of everything that you and Ekenbar are discussing is normal pace. And if I say your future should be dark? And as you say that, the lights go out, but nobody notices. Nobody understands that it's pitch black, except for you and Ekenbar. And and realistically, not even you really see that. Like you almost see like this overlay of darkness on the world, but you can still see it quite normal. But you hear Ekenbar, "This is no game, boy. You turn these or, lights back on." Or if I should say that your future should be bright, and as you say that, like that that veil of shadow lifts from the ballroom and everything is still moving at that that rapid pace and it's almost like time is fast forwarding while the two of you sit in this almost null zone and Ekenbar like grabs the railing and pushes himself up despite his knee and says I will not be threatened by you now Ekenbar you heard about what I did in Oxbane yes how I went into the belly of the beast, how I stared through the door to hell itself, and how it changed me and gave me some unique abilities. If I say your life is dark, it will be dark. If I say it will be bright, it will be bright. If I say that you have stepped too far and that you have harmed your people, if I say that your life should come to an end, abruptly, it will. Do me a favor and roll an intimidation check for me, please. can't make it up yeah that's a natural 20 yeah it's happened twice today and so akimbar like drops to his knees and um he like puts his hands on this like marble balcony and he says what would you have me do i would have you first of all i will see payments made to every young man you've made disappear, every young woman you've taken advantage of, every person you've hurt, there will be a sizable contribution made to their families, and I will hear of it. Then, you will look after your people, and you will start to earn the title of noble. And if you step out of line, I assure you I'll hear of it. And, um, as you say that, Akinbar his like brace kind of loosens up and he kind of gets to his feet and he leans against the railing and he says anything else i am not an unreasonable man i want you to continue to be ekenbar you can continue to do shady deals and you can seek personal wealth and you can do all the things you want. You can sleep with all the young women you want, but they will be paid for. They will be willing. They will be consorts. That's fine. You do whatever dark deeds you must do. But if I should hear that any harm should befall anyone that you have taken a sworn oath to protect, I will come back. And just as I've speed up, sped up your little gala here, I will speed up your life. I will watch you age and turn to dust before me in an instant. 
And I think as you say that, um, and not necessarily on your cue, but the balcony around you kind of starts to age. And you can you can immediately tell this is an illusion. Like you, you have no problem seeing this is an illusion, but Ekenbar doesn't. He can see the, the the balcony kind of aging, and he kind of looks at his hands that are they're starting to age, and he's and he says, "Make it stop! Make it stop! Oh, okay, okay, make it stop!" And when I you put my like, hands out, yeah, when you raise your hands as in, almost as to like to wipe free of this illusion, it does just that. And uh, Ekenbar's panting. He says, "You win." I agree. And then just one last thing. You owe me 170 gold pieces. And he almost laughs. He, he like laughs heartily. And he says, You... You have some nerve. And he like reaches into his pocket and like throws you a sack of gold. And it's like, it's well over 170 pieces of gold, but he's like, Take it! Take it and leave! I will leave. I just wanted to ensure that you learned the lesson here, which is that all debts are paid. And then I abruptly leave. And as I leave, uh, I think I'm not the only one who leaves. So as you leave, you, you descend these staircases, you and Avia kind of like hook arms and kind of walk down the staircase together. And as you two exit the doors, everyone who bore these silver masks, these, these, these serpent-like masks, they fluidly and almost, almost like undiscernibly break free of their partners and walk out one by one right behind you, almost forming this long tail, this long line, until the party is left with nothing but confused nobles and an angry Ekenbar. Kristoff <laughs> kind of laughs, um, and turns to Avian and just says, Ekenbar is going to have to explain how all of that just happened to a room full of very sexually frustrated nobles whose dates all just left. And she laughs, a laugh you have not heard in a long time. A laugh you haven't heard since your time in Oxbane. And she says, I, I don't envy him one bit. Not at all. And the scene ends with the castle kind of fading away into the darkness and... Kristoff and Avia leading their people out of the castle and into the night. And the clock spins, the clock spins, and the, the sun rises and the sun falls, and we see someone familiar, but they look different. It's almost like when you're having a dream and you place a face or a person, and you see this tiefling over a table in a dark room and above the tiefling there's these magical orbs of light that hover cascading shadows and this eerie luminescence in this makeshift office and 
this silver mask reflects off the light as it bounces through the room and off papers and off this this glass of almost transparent red wine and you see this the silver mask tiefling read a letter and there's this this anger to it and he sits it down and he picks up another letter and just more frustrated by the last and I think he I think he maybe reads one aloud to himself in the room as he's doing so um don't really know how to start this letter dear Mr. Silver Serpent? I don't really know the title. Um, I'm, I'm a scullery maid in the town of Heimerdinger, and I don't, I don't know who else to turn to. It's, it's, it's our Lord, Lord Byron. He just, he's become so angry since his wife passed at me, and he beats us, and he, he withholds our pay, and he, withholds our food, and we don't know what to do, and I heard about what you did. I heard about what you did, and I just thought maybe I don't... I didn't have anywhere else to turn. Um, I hope this letter finds you well. And I think uh, the Silver Serpent slams the letter down and picks up another one and reads another one. Hey there, Mr. Silver Serpent. It's me, Sheriff of Townville. <laughs> you ought to know, our Lord has been preparing for war. We don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know with whom, but I suspect it's the neighboring fiefdom of Viltown. And I think that well, this war ain't gonna do nothing but lie in his pockets and lots of good men are gonna die. So if you're into doing that thing that I heard that you're into doing, let us know. We could use a silver serpent on these parts Townville. And he slams that letter down and then he reads another one and it, and it begins with, it begins with, Silver Serpent, I hope this reaches you. And... And maybe you're the person for it. But our king, he's... He's becoming abusive, and you slam... The Silver Serpent slams the letter down. And the next one, Silver Serpent, please help... Slams it down, and he, he does this for more letters than seems wildly appropriate. And he's reading a letter more carefully than most, and... That's when the door kind of creaks open and uh, it reveals uh, Avia. Um, but not the Avia we remember seeing. Not the Avia with almost like pirate robes and this like carefree appearance. She's wearing noble clothes and she's wearing nice garments and this 
traveling cloak that was clearly fastened for royalty and like these beautiful traveler's gloves and, and of course she's it's all in tones of blue and leathery browns and she says Christoph yes. there's something you're gonna want to see I hope it's not more damn letters and she says it's a message alright and she kind of walks in and on her left traveler's glove there's a like raven sitting made of like shadows and smoky tendrils and she kind of reaches her arm out and the raven like leaps from the glove and bats its wings real hard and like strikes you in the face and like you begin to see this vision and as Kristoff's struck by this shadow raven he hears a voice like it's almost it's not like the time stops around him but what he hears almost happens in an instant and he hears this voice and he in his vision alone sees Svan and Svan is Svan is not in the same armor that you've seen him in before where you've seen him in these like dress clothes when he was a uh, uh, Justicar and Oxbane and then you've seen him in what, what mostly looked like ceremonial armor when he fought in Oxbane it was just what he had he is in his like straight up combat armor it's the very armor that legends were told of the Herald of Storm and he's wielding this weapon and, and it's at his side and as he like speaks to you in this message and he says Kristoff I send you this message and I, I I hope this raven finds you but I need your help I've already sent word to the others and to the friends that I've had but I need you there is danger Henry is in danger Atlas he's I believe he's in danger but I need you and I ask of you and I know you're busy and I know you have your own things I'm not a deaf man but I need you to meet us I need you to meet us in Whisperwall because there is something going on that Goron that Goron can't handle and I know I know you you can make a difference Atlas he will be coming and I hope the Raven finds Rowan but I've requested you all find Whisperwall because silence and Goron this needs your help and as the message ends um, you you kind of see you kind of see that it's almost like a recording right like he's like recording himself um, with this spell and when he's doing that you you see one of those 
fiends kind of appear and um Svan has to like fight it off and as he fights it off and dispatches of it he says there isn't a lot of time and it's getting worse but i know you boys you boys won't come alone please help us and as he says that like uh the shadow vanishes away and you and avia are um standing together and she didn't witness any of this and she but she kind of sees that like you did and she says what what was that about um it appears that i'm and i'm already like starting to frantically like gather things that i would need on a journey um and like packing and it seems i uh, am being called away seems that I have to go home. And I think as she's like kind of like following you around as you're like moving around the room. And when you say go home, she goes, what? What? Why do you have to go home? It's, it's the same thing that I keep saying to everyone else. All debts are paid. And I, mine have been called due. And she says, I'm not letting you go alone. I was really hoping you'd say that. But I don't know if we can both be gone from here. And um, she kind of like tears up as you say that. She says, I, I don't like the sound of any of this. And I don't want to. I told you I would go with you. That if you had to return home, I would be by your side. I would very much like for you to be there. I just... We just made our big debut. The letters are coming in more so than I thought they would. I... We'll have to take some time. See if, they, if we can both afford to be gone for as long as we may be gone. We've got some good agents, and we might be able to keep this thing running without us. I just, we can't throw away everything we worked for. She, like, uh, collapses into your chair, almost defeated, and says, You're probably right. I just... I don't like the idea of it. Being gone from you, and... I know that whatever... Whatever you're about to get mixed up in, it's... <laughs> I know you. It's not... It's not safe. No, it's very likely not, but don't forget. And I reach into my vest and I pull out the coin that she gave me in Oxbane nearly two years ago. Uh, and I kind of flick it and catch it. No matter how far I go, I'm never that far away. And uh, she smiles, the, this defeated smile, and says, We'll talk about it, and, and if you think it's best for me to stay here, I told you I would be by your side, no matter what that means. But you have to know, I, I would rather be by your side. That was the deal we made. And as the two of you, as, as you pack and as she um, sits 
uh, now heavily drinking your wine. Um, The two of you discuss matters that you've been working on and things to come and your travel plans. And I think, um, I think, I think you're pretty much ready to immediately leave. And, um, she just tells you, um, ah, I know we don't really talk about it, but I care about you very much, Christoph. And I care about you more than than almost anyone in the entire world. It's it's more than anyone in the world. You've been so loyal and so good to me. I don't think I deserve it. And I think um, I think she smiles at that, and I think that's where your scene kind of fades as you're packing, and she's <laughs> drinking, and. Um, the discussion that you guys have is murmured and difficult for both of you. Um, and I think that's, I think that's where we end the interlude of Kristoff. Yeah. Interlude, uh, numero dos, leaving one more boyo. So if, if you, if you've been with us so far, um, it has been a rough journey um, emotionally for two boyos. Yes. Um, we will see what the third one has to bring. Um, I kept the first one, the first ending short, and I think we're going to keep the second ending short unless um, you have anything you specifically want to say to the listeners, Shane. Not at all. I love you guys so much. Thanks for um, taking this journey with us. Thanks for coming sitting with us so far. Um, and I really just think we got a lot to look forward to for the rest of our journey. So hold on, hold on to your butts. Uh, so Shane, as uh, standard practice for Lawful Stupid, let's go ahead and play them out. Bye. Bye. We love you. Bye. 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 Bye.